from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Hey, what's up, everybody? We are back. We are high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, once again. We are. Making his way all the way down here from Thornton, I got the king himself, Jeff Morton. What is up, everybody? Uh, nice to have you here on this special edition of Colorado Sports Guys. Nate, we have a guest with us? We do. We have Tim Conley, general manager of the Denver Nuggets. I'm here. You're here. <laughs> yes. You made it. You made it to the office. No, thanks for having me. Glad, happy to be here. Um, I was waiting for a Hello Cleveland moment, but I didn't do it, so I'm disappointed. Um, uh, so we are. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast again. You've uh, been more than gracious to come on several times with us. We appre- really appreciate it. Um, I guess the first question, uh, I guess, on everyone's lips is: um, Have you seen the new Nirvana documentary? It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's good. Yeah. I actually watched some of it last night after the late feed um, for my daughter. Um, uh, some of the HBO stuff right now is fantastic. Um, Wilson Chandler was just talking about it yesterday, so mm-hmm. he kind of put me down with it. I haven't seen the whole thing yet. But it, w- it was a good uh, 2 a.m. on demand. Well, was Wilson watching that? Wilson is, has very eclectic taste in movies. He sees some really cool things. He's got back from New York. Uh, he went to a bunch of museums. He's a, he's a neat guy. Yes, he is. He's a big Lana Del Rey fan as well. Really? Yes, yeah. No, I, this I, is exactly I this how is, I thought this was going to start. This is, Lana this is, Del Rey, <laughs> Nirvana. <laughs> well, this is, this is what it teaches me for not asking Wilson about his music taste during the year. So. Well, we also didn't have, this was like the first night in a while we didn't have NBA games. There was no playoff games last night. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought, uh, you know, I was ignorant. I thought it was like 40 games and 40 nights, and I thought that meant pretty much every night. <laughs> no, they, they actually meant the weather in Denver. It was <laughs> yeah. 40, raining for 40 days yeah. and 40 nights. <laughs> I was shocked there was no games on last night. Yeah, what do you, what do you think about these uh, these current playoff matchups? You've been watching probably. I'm yeah, I've watched. Um, <laughs> I've watched every game. Um, it's it's um, been a lot of interesting series. Um, I think it's unfortunate some of the injuries we've seen. Um, yeah. Certainly, I was bummed out about John's injury. Um, oh. I thought they're they're a team that was um, kind of um, uh, stumbled to the finish line, but it seemed to pick up momentum as the playoffs progressed. And, and watching John and Brad play together was pretty fun to um, see. Um, I think the Clippers series is fascinating. The Clippers Spurs first round was, I mean, that could Tremendous. have been Western Conference Finals. Yep. Um, coming down to a, a shot like Chris made, uh, I, I think by and all, it's been a, a really fun playoffs. It's just uh, again a little disappointing some of the guys that aren't there because of injuries. Did you buy into any of the talk that the Washington Wizards were playing possum during the regular season and then <laughs> unleashed this new playoff brand of basketball? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I've, <laughs> Some of my really good friends are um, still in D.C., um, and, and they wouldn't buy into that either. It's um, You know, you never know. You, you, good teams always hit, hit a stretch where they kind of start to click, um, and, and the really fortunate teams, that stretch coincides with the start of the playoffs. Um, I think it was uh, a good matchup for them in the first round with Toronto, and they were able to build off their early success and get, and get a little rhythm going. Um, it just stinks that they're going to probably have to proceed without John. Yeah. Well, it's it's hard, you know, and you, they say injuries are part of it, but you know, it, it's hard to deal with a injury to so a player a caliber, like the caliber of John Wall, who basically you know played on a broken wrist yeah. for the half of the game or three quarters of the game, which is you know what I guess a testament to John Wall. Yeah, John's a tough kid. To he's yeah. a, he's a really competitive guy, um, and he really cares about winning. I think it speaks to his toughness. But um, yeah, unbelievable. That he played through that, and then unbelievable that uh, the extent of the injury once he finally got him right. How about told uh, and Mike Conley playing basically without oh. a face and without a foot? That was unbelievable. I mean, I, I turned into a fan of the other day when Mike Conley came out. It was 
Uh, my wife and I sat there and watched, and we were you know, subconsciously cheering for Memphis just because of Mike's toughness. And Tony Allen's defensive um, game the other night was fantastic. Oh, and I love that he was mic'd up, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was great. First team all defense. Yeah, was, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was pretty amazing how that, how that all transpired. And I was telling uh, our, our good friend, Mr. Tim Gelt here, your PR director, mm-hmm. that uh, my advice to the Memphis Grizzlies before injuring that game was to um, channel their inner 1992 New York Knicks. And just be really physical mm. with them, and I think they pro- they really, not that they were like listening to some idiot on the on the internet, but it's like that's what it was taking to really throw a, a team like the uh, the Warriors off because they needed to be tough. They needed to like send Curry through those screens and stuff yeah. like that. And I think that really affected them. I think yeah, to be you, you know, that your personality mm-hmm. is such. It's um, you know the best of teams can can win in different environments and with different um, styles of play. But Memphis is a, is a team that kind of hangs its head on half-court, hard-nosed basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you um, stick to that, it's your best chance of winning, especially beating a team that's so offensively gifted like the Warriors are. Absolutely. Are, are, we seeing, are we seeing parity at all in the NBA, or are we just seeing maybe a change into the guard of, of teams kind of coming up? I, I think um, – I, I don't know parity. I think there's – the weird thing I think about the NBA right now, I think we've talked about in previous – podcast is um the last couple of years you've seen um teams some teams really want to win some teams are consciously waving the white flag before the season starts so it kind of key, creates a cast system and then i think um the teams that um, are in the playoffs you're seeing some young guys take the next step um the guys that were maybe you know top 50 players and ended up top 20 players and, and that allows them to win these playoff series when a year or two ago they probably weren't ready to do so well, I think, by and large, the, the the playoffs have played out kind of like that, and I, I really do think injuries have affected the playoffs yeah. as well. It just, it's just one of those situations where you have that kind of thing prop, you know, prop itself up. Like, who would have thought that, um, you know, Kevin Love would have had his shoulder dislocated? Sure. You know, so, at the same time, injuries play a part. But at the same time, at the, there is a bit of that cast system as you're talking about with with teams like in the regular season not really trying, and then others basically going for it so it's kind of created a an upper level and a lower level so to speak yeah it's disappointing um and i understand the rationale on both ends but it's um it kind of um oftentimes creates an environment that's um maybe not conducive to the basketball we all like to see Mm -hmm. does this uh does what's going on give you any kind of hope to what you guys are doing here in denver to what you're trying to build and and maybe where are you guys trying to build as as you head into this offseason which i think Jeff, myself, and many other people have said it's a pretty paramount, huge, giant offseason for you guys, we feel like. Sure. No, I feel the same way. <laughs> right. No pressure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no pressure. You know, it, it's actually, I was just, um, I was talking to Melvin yesterday about uh, where do we see our guys in some of these playoff series. I'm like being brutally honest. Which guys on our roster would have roles and how big would their roles would be? I think it's a good practice and exercise to kind of see um, – who in that locker room is capable of playing and producing um, in relevant basketball this time of year. Um, I think it's our flexibility is going to be um, paramount this summer um, and it could lead us in any different direction. I'm sorry, any, any um, of various directions. I think the next time I think we'll um, have real clarity will be that certainly May 19th, the draft lottery um, and then draft night. Um, we're going to have a, an A, B, and C plan, depending on the opportunities that present themselves. Um, I don't think we'll, um, our vision will be clear until we um, know what type of options we have in and around the draft. Um, I think if there's any theme, it'll be ultra-aggressive. Um, I think it's you know, 
very important for us to, to get an alpha dog on our team. Um, the guy might be on our team now, but uh, the, the teams they're still playing, I think you look up, they all have top 30 guys. Um, and I think it's um, that's just how that's a reality that we have to face, and we have to um, come up with some way to address it, whether it's via draft, whether it's an aggressive trade, or, or you know maximizing some of our uh, financial flexibility. But I think um, it's a bit premature for say we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Um, as the uh, draft lottery will give us the first indicator, and then on draft night, I think we'll have a very clear sense of exactly which way we'll go, and we'll we'll jump in with both feet. It's a, uh, just to follow up on what Nate said. Um, I think your casual fan is not going to be one that that like really looks at something like as nebulous as direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, your casual fan just looks at wins and losses, but your hardcore fan will say, "We we crave we we crave a, a, a arrow up or down." Mm-hmm. And do you anticipate with the moves you'll make this offseason, whatever they may be, that you will find that direction? You will hone in on where you need to go? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm very confident that it, it'll be crystal clear uh, when we go into next season. Um, I think every move we make, um, unless it's on the deep peripheral, to be honest with you, will, will be done so with, with the intent of trying to address that need yeah. for um, you know, elite level talent. Um, and whether that's development of a couple of guys on our present roster, I mean, I, th- I thought Gallo played an elite level the last month of the season. You know, 47-40 is, is difficult to really replicate. Um, but I, I think we just finished um, our um, our scouting meetings prior to Chicago pre-draft next week, and that was the that was the overwhelming uh, theme of every question: Can this guy be a top third starter at his position? If he can't. And maybe he's not for us. Um, yeah. Can this guy get us closer to us of uh, kind of achieving that goal? If not, maybe he's not for us. Um, you know, wh- what? How much is too much if we want to get that guy? Yeah. Whether it's moving up, whether it's trading for a guy. You know, wh- what's our appetite for risk? I mean, I think it's a pretty healthy one. Yeah. We kind of look at looking at the current roster. You guys have a, a large makeup of either guys that are, you know, starting to become veterans or are veterans, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of guys that are really young. Obviously, you have you have Nurkic, you have. Gary Harris, you have you know Will Barton, mm-hmm. on and on. So you, looking at the roster, you kind of say, well, are they rebuilding already because they're bringing in all these young guys, or are they going to try to try to keep pushing forward with Gallinari, with Ty Lawson, with Kenneth Fareed? You know, the NBA is weird um, because you know the names you mentioned, Kenneth, Gallo, Ty are very young. It's just they've been in the NBA minus Kenneth for so long. You view those guys as like 29, 30, 31 year old guys. Uh, Gallo's twenty six. Um, uh, you know, Kenneth will play next year at 26. Ty's a young guy. Um, I think we'll have, you know, we'll, we've got a second-round pick we took last year. We're going to, you know, try to get him over here sooner rather than later. That'll give us six guys under 25 and under, not counting a draft pick this year. Um, I think you can have too many young guys, certainly, um, but it's about production, and regardless of age, how, how much can you produce, how much can you help the team. Um, some of these playoff teams have – you know, three, four, five guys, 25 and under in the rotation. Um, I don't think it's an either-or proposition. I don't think you have to be, you know, you have to have 12, 22-year-olds or you have to have all veterans. Um, but I think maybe uh, the one misnomer um, league-wide is some of our core guys are young enough uh, where, where they can go either way. You know, you don't have to, if you do want to take a younger uh, approach, a younger route, you don't have to get rid of player X or Y um, because relative to their age and produ- productivity, they're still very good players and they probably haven't hit, yet hit their prime. You know, they're not looking at 30-year-old 30, 30 guys that when we're 
going to hit our peak or are they past their prime so it's um it allows us to be um i think pretty creative and doesn't paint us in the corner with some of the moves we'll look to make um, this offseason well it's interesting you mentioned uh, gallo at the end of the year uh i think it surprised everyone that he kind of exploded kind of like that mm-hmm. considering the injuries more than anything else everyone knows he's undeniable he has some undeniable qualities but the the way he kind of exploded mm-hmm. at the end of the year um was that more due to him feeling better uh, with his, his physical, I mean, because it looked like he was very unsure of himself and shooting a lot of jumpers before, but, I mean, it kind of, basically after the All-Star break, after uh, Brian had put him into the starting lineup, he kind of just took this dramatic arrow up, yeah, so to speak. You know, we, we had a guy, um, one of my previous teams, that we had a tough decision to make coming off an ACL. So we did um, tons of research, and we, we basically, after all the research, similar um, level guys, we, we thought the productivity would be about 75 to 80 percent year one. Um, and then year two, you're, you're in you know, the 90 percent, you know, you're getting close to, to back to where you were. With modern science, um, the way it is today, almost any injury you can return to full form. Um, so Gallo was out 19 months. Um, I think it was um, the expectations were a bit unfair. Um, I think there was certainly going to be a physical um, learning curve. The mental learning curve as well. Uh, as he got more comfortable um, with the pace of the game, as he got more comfortable with um, just playing at that high level, I think you saw him much more aggressive attacking the rim. I think you saw him much more willing to expose himself at the rim. And then that opened up his perimeter game. Um, and he shot the lights out last uh, month of the season. So I think 19 months is a really long time. Um, and while it was um, struggles early, I think those struggles led to the success late. Do you feel with Gallo, he's going to be playing, obviously, for the national team? You guys have some other guys. I think Joffrey's going to be playing for France. Yeah. Do you like that? Do you like those guys? Because they're going to be playing basketball probably anyways. Is it good for them to be involved in those programs? Yeah, I like guys who want to play. Um, so, you know, I, all the young guys are playing right now. And then we told them to take three weeks off. And, you know, they're chomping at the bit. Uh, Joffrey took a week off and then text me, can you send me two balls? You know, I want to start working out. <laughs> uh, Eric Green's working out in D.C. with a bunch of guys right now. Um, I, I never want to tell a guy not to be on the court. Um, I, I think the competitive spirit's either in you or it's not. And I, I, I'd much rather uh, have guys we have to tone them down and tell them, you know, not to play and vice versa. Um, the, the only issue at times can be um, with not so much NBA guys. Um, our season is relatively short compared to some European leagues, but Joffrey, for example, played 47 and a half months of basketball straight between his European teams and his national teams. And it's, um, I think it is important at some point to let your body just kind of rest. But um, I love it. I love the, the sense of national pride. I love that we're going to see our guys competing against each other at a high level. And I think um, it's, it's only a chance for those guys to grow and improve. Do you feel that the players on, on this team are all still with you guys as far as wanting to be here and wanting to push forward as well? Because there's some questions that have popped up about – and you saw even other NBA players questioning, you know, did the Nuggets quit on Brian Shaw? Did certain players quit on him? Have players quit on the organization? Are you guys still all on the same page, you feel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not really concerned about what uh, other players think. Um, I think if you allow the outside noise to um, affect your internal decision-making, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, we had a couple guys, um, when we acquired and weren't excited about coming here, to be honest with you. And now these same guys are saying, I want to be here long term. You know, how can I be part of the solution? I don't want to leave leave this city or this organization uh, as a 30-win team. Um, so I think 
the the foundation is certainly there, um, and I think it's it's our job to identify the guys that are about the right things, that care about the right things, that um, embrace the challenge and embrace the uh, city. I think we have a handful of guys in that locker room right now that have really done so and vocally done so both to myself and league wide. Uh, you you were mentioning um, without naming him um, your second round draft pick last year, uh, uh, Nikola Jokic. Yeah. It seems like Jokic, yeah. if you listen to. Yuckage. The 2014 oh, Hoop right. Summit League. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and, you know, and one of the current players in this draft uh, had mentioned that he liked playing with him, um, called, compared him to Dirk Nowitzki. That'd be nice. I, I literally had the same reaction that you did. Um, but it, what, do you, what is it you saw in him that made you draft him? I mean, just for the people who are listening to this who have no idea who this guy is and haven't seen him, what did you see in him that made you want him to be on the Nuggets? Well, you know, it's a complete cra- – the draft's a crapshoot as is. The second round, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're really flying blind. Uh, and there was only, I think, four or five guys really liked the second round. Um, Jokic jumped out. He had a unique physical profile. He was a late bloomer. Um, had two very – like strapping older brothers, one played collegiately, other played um, professionally in um, Serbia. Um, so you saw the lineage. You saw the guy that went from like kind of a pudgy six six wing guy to a lumbering six eleven skilled five. Um, I think the two things that just completely jump off the page are his uh, passing ability. Uh, you know, same league, um, like he averaged more assists for game than um, Dario Saric, who's a you know unique playmaker and was a, very, a lottery pick last season. Um, and this uh, shot-making ability. He shoots it easy. He shoots it with range. He doesn't shoot like a big. He, he lacks no confidence uh, for being a kid to turn 20 late in, in this season. Um, so I think where the league's going, if you can have st- stretch bigs, it opens up a lot. Um, I look at Atlanta right now, the, the value that Perrantich has. Um, an older guy, certainly, and he's got a lot of warts. But you can plant your center 22 feet away from the basket. It, it makes those driving lanes a lot easier. Um, and I think we see a lot of stretch fours. Uh, we think Jokic could be a stretch five as he matures into his body. He's, you know, seven foot right now, 254. Uh, I would imagine he's got a little bit left in him. You know, he might be a seven one, two six. Is, is he still 19? He just turned 20. Just turned 20. Yeah. So, you know, we're, if we can have a stretch five um, who, who has a feel for the game, who rebounds his position, um, and the passing is um, certainly a weapon that very few big guys possess, and it's so instinctive with him. So the combination of all those things, but we didn't know. You're still just – those things all look great. And then you hope he continues to mature. And luckily for us, and, and really a testament to him and, and his team and the coaching staff at Mega, he continued to improve. And, and now he's a guy, I think, that's, um, that has taken a huge step forward and, and is potentially ready to join us this summer. It's a game that uh, media and bloggers like to play where we redo drafts. Yeah. Do you think if, if Jokic had – you know, if that draft was redone today, would you guys have been able to draft him in the second round? No, I don't think so. But I mean, there's a there was a couple guys who really liked the second round that you know redoing the draft. They'd have been lottery picks. Um, it's um, uh, I mean I, I do that too over beers, but it drives me nuts. It's, right. They should redo <laughs> redo circumstances. I think there's some rookies this year who had unbelievable years, mm-hmm. who circumstantially the kind of lights shine down on them. You know that there was injuries or they ended up on teams where it, there was no expectations, nobody in front of them. Um, I mean it's great to develop. Uh, individually, it's great to develop on your own, but until you get those game minutes, the development is pretty limited. Um, but I think um, we're pretty excited about Nicole, and I certainly think if, as a 20-year-old um, guy this year, I think he, he'd probably be much higher, but who knows. There's one guy that you take a lot of uh, internet heat for, and that's Rudy Gobert. Yeah. There's a lot of people that say, geez, why didn't the Nuggets just keep that pick, yeah. and why did they trade him to Utah? Yeah, yeah well, it wasn't um, 
uh, for good for good reason. Rudy's a monster. But it wasn't you know, when you do those trades. You, we don't pick Rudy, and then you get a call like, "Hey, you guys picked Rudy. Will you will you trade him?" That was a Utah pick from um, you know prior to us them being on the clock. I'm sorry, us being on the clock. Um, and I agree. Shoot, if if um, it's certainly retrospectively, it was a move that didn't work out at all. There's no no way to um, sugarcoat that. I mean, Rudy's taking monster steps, but it wasn't a situation where. Oh, we took Rudy Gobert, then you get a call, like, hey, we want to give you a bunch of money in this pick. Oh, okay, sounds good to me. Right. <laughs> Usually it's the money that greases the wheel. But it, it, <laughs> but the um, the same thing, like, I, I've been trying to explain it to you, like, last year with the, the draft day trade you yeah. guys made, you know, it's not as if you guys were No, like, we didn't select McDermott. You didn't select him. And then we had Bulls a call. wanted him, yeah. Yeah, that was, um, uh, you know, when you, when you see those trades ha- happen simultaneously, you're on the phone with the other team. Okay, mm-hmm. Utah, this is the, what we've agreed to. Who do you want? And then you just say the name, and then the the, the rights are swapped. Um, but it's um, shoot, I, I wish I wish we would select a Gobert. We we, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we unfortunately can't ask you about specific players in this draft yet, or you might have to pay a lot of money to the NBA. But we can just hold this uh, podcast till after the draft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just but looking at this draft, uh, talking about where you guys are, where you might potentially be, how do you go about determining? You know, what is your guys' kind of your process for trying to choose between? Top level talent is it different if you're picking seventh versus if you're picking twenty third? Like, is there different things you have to look for? Yeah, I mean, I look at twenty third. You're coming off a good season, and potentially you can factor in need uh, more so than where we are. Um, need will not be impactful with our selection. Um, I, I don't think um, you know coming off a thirty win season, um, you can't use need as, as your sole kind of uh, guidance. Um, I think. Um, I really uh, our process is sound. I think our staff is unbelievable with our tourists and Jim Klibanoff and Tommy and Jared and uh, Ben and Raffle um, and Herb Livesey. We had unbelievable meetings. Uh, I think it's maybe the most confident I feel all night is draft night. To be honest with you, I, you know I cut my teeth as a scout. I still view myself as a scout. Um, I've seen a lot of games. Uh, I've watched a lot of video. I just got back from a European trip. Um, so it, that's a really fun night um, when you feel prepared. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to make the right decision. We might make an awful decision, but I'll tell you why we did it. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have books to back up our logic. Yeah. Um, we were actually just talking about a player, um, a hotly debated player, that's going to probably fall between four and nine that has a lot of red flags. You know, um, you know, questionable work ethic and does how much does he love it? And then he has some physical tools that are just jaw-dropping and, and oftentimes are almost beyond fail. Um, so th- those are the type of debates where you, you have every metric. You've talked to 12 people. You've talked to AU coaches and high school coaches and college trainers and academic advisors. You talk to teammates. And you have all the information. Then you're like, all right, well, here we go. Um, right. it's, it's not an exact science by any stretch. And I think um, – it's also, uh, again, it's, it's where you're selected and who you're selected by. I think there's certain guys in our league that have, have had unbelievable careers because they've been very fortunate to go to teams and maximize them early on or had better in leadership. Um, talked to Al Harrington quite a bit about that. Without Antonio Davis, yeah. where's Al? Um, yep. And I think um, all, all those things, um, you, you can't figure out going into it. Right. I think it, it's we use this term so often, and it's probably – corny but we want to make informed mistakes when, when the dust clears why did we do this and then we can kind of go back retrospectively say okay that was sound logic or this is probably where our process led us astray or sometimes say hey, it was the right pick it just didn't work out 
How much talk is there among teams? Like, are you already talking to other GMs and other people? And, and when does that pro- – does, how long does that play out up until you have, you know, 10 seconds left on the time to pick? Sure. Yeah, I was um, – the recent European trip, I was with a bunch of guys. Uh, so that was a good t- chance on trains and taxis to start talking about, a, you know, what are you looking for? Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the draft? What are th- your thoughts on your present roster? Um, I've talked to a lot of the non-playoff teams. Um, but I think until the draft lottery, it's all conjecture. It's all, you know, certainly we'll view our position very differently if we have a top three pick. Um, our front office becomes a lot smarter <laughs> if we have a top <laughs> three pick. Um, so, uh, you know, your b- best laid plans are thrown out the window of a team that's supposed to be 10 jumps to two. Um, your best laid plans, are, uh, you know, go out the window if you get a, a call you never expected on draft night. Like, wow, we can get that guy? That's intriguing. Um, so, I mean, w- we – we plan probably, we overly plan, and then you get a call and like, all right, well, throw away those two books. Let's analyze <laughs> this potential move. Um, but the conversations I think we'll pick up in earnest this next week of the uh, Chicago pre-draft combine yeah. where everyone's in one gym. Um, I, think, I, I really wish the lottery was before that. It seems kind of backwards that the lottery is after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the lottery on the 19th, we know exactly what we're picking. Now we have all the cards on the table. These are the options that we have. This is where we're selecting. Um, I think we'll have fun with the 57th pick. Um, I told I told uh, our guys if that's not a starter, you know, they're all getting fired. <laughs> um, Pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, long answer short that the calls are are kind of starting, but until Chicago and then certainly the uh, lottery, they're just kind of we're just jabbing each other, filling each other up. Do you like some of the new wrinkles they put into the combine? I think they're going to have only certain guys participate in five on five, and some guys only do measurables, and some guys don't do anything. I like to see live basketball. I mean, even when we work the guys out here sometimes, and I'm quasi falling asleep and working on ball handling. I want to see guys <laughs> compete. I want to see um, how they react to, to in-game situations. Um, I also I think we make a, a point not to allow the combine to sway our thinking too much. If a guy jumps you know, more than six spots up or down um, off of a combine, we, all gotta, we have to look at the process. Like, what, what happened in those two days? You know? <laughs> I think yeah. I've seen guys – really really help themselves in the combine and i've seen guys that have been unfairly beat up by the combine and oftentimes the body of work whether it's internationally or collegially is much more trustworthy than you know a couple days in kind of a meat market environment well it's as we go through the process too i mean it someone once described to me the draft as more of an art because you're really banking on potential and it's hard to really predict potential but free agency is more of a science because you can you can really know what someone's done already based on their resume so um would you in this sense consider yourself more of an artist because you are more of a trying to look through the draft bank on potential identify that person within the draft and get to get something that is not yet on like Seen fruition, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, it's uh, Dick McGuire, the legendary um, Nick coach, one of the best scouts of all time. He had great lines. He goes, Timmy, I always know who to take. They're just not always there when I'm picking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I can tell you who the really good players are. Mm-hmm. Um, can we get one of those really good players? Well, one of those really good players, um, will he progress to the level where he potentially can be here? Um, I think, you know, y- you have to look for trends and what allows guys to make it, you know, um, what are some of the red flags that, that, that disallow him from being more than just a marginal NBA player. Um, and then you really have to just understand it. It's an absolute crapshoot when you're dealing with people. Um, there, there's some guys that have been picked. I was shocked how good they've been. And 
you know, I, I think I work pretty hard. I've watched as many games and much videos as anybody else. And there's some guys I've been shocked they haven't made it. Um, mm. So I think there has to be a, a real sense of humility. Um, and, and you can't go in that night thinking, this is the guy, you know, for sure. I mean, there, some of the stars in, in our league right now were, were afterthoughts as draft picks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they made it the hard way. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's certainly fun projecting, not reporting. And I think it's, um, it's we're all kind of fascinated by draft picks. Mm-hmm. We have a lot. Draft picks are great to so have to pick somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you got all these first-round picks, and then you look up the draft a couple of years ago, and you see how many guys are still in the league, how many guys are still in the present roster, how many guys got their fourth-year option picked mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a really, really fun process. Um, I, I love it. I think it's a, the best chance to make substantive change, the best chance to set your franchise up for long-term success. Um, a certain free agency is huge. Trades are huge, but the, the most tried and true way is to select your stud and grow with them. Yeah. What have you ever learned from an academic advisor about a player? Does that come into hand? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm happily uh, – Josh didn't call my academic advisor. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I heard you mention that. It's, it sounded interesting. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, you want to talk to as many different people as possible, and sometimes the, the more on the peripheral, the less, uh, the less uh, subjective they are. Um, we have one school. It's kind of funny uh, – there's one staff member that always hates all their guys. Yeah. He's just this job that he's, he's a real tough guy. He hates them all. Uh, he's just, you know, the strength guy that you talk to 20 people. I love him, love him, love him. The strength guy, oh, he's not in the weight room enough. And he, um, so, you know, you have to be very leery of how many opinions you listen to. Um, and we, we don't want to cold call anybody. Certainly if I, if I got, if there was another league above the NBA and I got cold called about one of our guys, and I, I'd be less than um, up front. But the academic advisors are neat because oftentimes it speaks to, um, you know, can they maintain focus on more than one thing? Can compartmentalize um, work beyond the court? Um, and it's, um, it's another interesting voice and oftentimes uh, uh, kind of a good outside opinion of the kid. Well, it's, uh, it's hard in the draft, too. I think the key has always been where mental focus and all that stuff meets physical talent. And that, that's why it's so rare because it usually, you know, it's hard to find – that guy who's going to be, say, like a Kobe Bryant, who has the physical tools but has the absolute drive to be 100% successful. That's a super. That's the definition of a superstar right there. And those guys are a dime a dozen. Yeah, they are. Not it's, a dime a dozen. Yeah. yeah. And, and furthermore, those guys, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I mean, Kevin Durant is special, special, special. Kevin Durant's first year in Seattle with P.J. playing the two-guard. Oh, he's just a chucker, and, you know, he can't defend. I think uh, – Certainly, we see Harden. I think you know uh, MVP candidate probably would have been my choice for MVP. Um, the guy um, did it the hard way. You know, was it was a backup and had to um, yeah. grow behind some special players. Um, I, I think the hardest thing in today's um, kind of professional sports landscape is there's a, compl- a total lack of patience. Um, yeah. And players take time. I don't care. I've I've been around some like I, Michael Jordan. Um, Gilbert Arenas, Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, John Wall, different levels. I've seen the beginning, seen the end, seen the in-between. Um, and it's, it's amazing how overly critiqued these guys are when they're taking their baby steps. Um, I mean, I'm so proud of Anthony. Um, and I think people are – a lot of people are somewhat surprised by it. Um, I, I think the surprise oftentimes stems from uh, maybe uh, being a bit too harsh when he first starts out. I mean, it's, it's hard to make that transition. Um, the rookie of the year next year is going to struggle initially. Wiggins struggled initially. Um, and there was countless, you know, 
articles. What does he miss and what does he not have? And, you know, the season ends. He looks like he's, he's quickly on the way to becoming a special player. Um, I guess we haven't really <laughs> talked about the elephant in the room, I guess, and that's the coaching search. So uh, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, uh, you, obviously, I, you guys will not know any time, significant timeline, and I don't expect you to tell me. But uh, do you guys have internally a specific type of person you are looking for? Is there a, is there a, like a person or personality that you are focused on, or is it kind of take it as it seems? No, for sure. I think um, look, uh, we all take our cue from um, uh, Josh, and I think Josh is, is very um, vocal uh, about a partnership um, where you enjoy coming to work every day. Um, I'll ruin the uh, quote, but he, he mentioned a really cool quote that they have on the walls at Arsenal um, about, uh, I think, success through harmony. And if I butchered it, apologies, um, Mr. Winger. <laughs> but it's... Um, I agree. I think um, five British fans are, are getting really upset now. Arsenal's <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty big. I don't know. Um, I think it's um, look. This is this is the m- most enjoyable job ever. Yeah, but it's about wins and losses, you know, for sure. But I, I have no interest in, in coming to work every day in, in a miserable environment. Um, I think you can win. You can win the right way and still enjoy it. I think you can win in. In unison with uh, the whole organization, and I don't think that's be an either or proposition. Um, so I think in, in terms of personality, I think it's someone that embraces Josh's vision, um, understands the market, understands uh, how great a city Denver is, and doesn't view this place as a uh, pit stop. Views it as as a long term um, answer, and wants to be here um, and grow with us to to levels I think we all want to get to. And um, I think stylistically, you got to play fast. Um, I, I don't think there's some viable coaches that um, have um, kind of grown up under different schools of thought basketball-wise. They've, they've worked for coaches that played fast. They've um, played and um, started coaching more grind-out systems. I don't think you rule out those people if they're young enough in the process, certainly. But um, our success in Denver has always coincided with a certain rate of basketball. Um, I, I think pace is way too simplistic a metric to, to judge it. I think you know, we, we have to play an entertaining brand of basketball where the altitude matters, where we're, um, you know, we can run teams off the court. Um, and it's fun. I think that, you know, fun sounds, um, you know, very sophomoric, but I think that the fun should be from coaching staff to the front office to the fan base to right up to the court. I think it's um, the type of team that I think we all want to see is a team that, you know, it's fun to come to the arena. It's enjoyable to watch um, Scott and Chris on TV. And I think we, we need to um, regain that pretty quickly. What do you mean when you say fast? Well, I think there's... Because we, we established the pace stat is a little misleading, I think. Yeah, it, I think it, p- pace know. is misleading. I think it's ball movement, yeah. certainly. I think it's uncontested shots. I think those two things are, are, are two of the most obvious um, metrics when you're defining fast play. Um, I, I think pace in a vacuum doesn't doesn't show you much. You, you know. Uh, you can play fast and take bad shots. You can play fast and take contested shots. Um, you can play fast and play kind of uh, a selfish brand of basketball. Um, I think fast is predicated on ball movement. Fast is, is predicated on um, trying to exploit um, defenses prior to them getting in their half-court sets. Um, but I agree. I think I think pace is kind of um, a, a very poor indicator of what fast looks like. You know, I think there's some teams in the playoffs that play fast right now. Uh, um, I'll ruin this stat. I think Golden State is... Uh, they're having 74 more passes a game than they did last year. Um, and that's 
you know, uh, it's not always scoring passes. It's about um, predicating ball movement and about making the defense play second side, making the defense um, kind of always recover. I think that's um, stylistically, you know, I, I can't coach my out of a wet paper bag, but that's kind of in my head what mm-hmm. I envision. Yeah, yeah. And have you guys, we, we had readers asking us, you know, why haven't we heard any news about the Nuggets coaching hires or interviews have you guys interviewed people already and and are you guys allowed to talk to coaches that are coaching in the playoffs currently or do you have to wait until the playoffs are over yeah it depends on the organization um you know we've talked to some guys um i I, we're a pretty tight-lipped organization uh i don't think it it benefits us to do our bidding publicly um i think the the you know unfortunately we had to make a coaching change and and um you know uh break up with a really good guy and brian a really good coach um we had questions about why weren't there any rumors about uh, the change. Well, I don't know how that would – to me, that would be unprofessional and unfair to a guy as good as Brian. Um, I, don't wanna, I don't want anyone to know who we're talking to. Um, I think it makes it cleaner. I think it makes it, um, it kind of more, more pure. And, and I, um, I just don't – a lot of people in the league probably th- view things differently. I, I'm not a big believer in – you know, unnamed sources or doing my uh, doing my business publicly or, or trying to use the media as kind of a agenda setters and, and pushers. But um, we've talked to a couple guys. We'll talk to a couple more guys um, in the coming days. Um, and then um, you know, certainly we've talked to Melvin a couple times already. We'll um, continue to um, – he's been here every day. Um, he's going to be one of our main candidates for sure. Um, but I'd prefer that I call you guys, say, hey, we got a new head coach, and there's not a rumor about it. And, we're doing a press conference. I don't know if that's if that's reality, but certainly that would be our preference. And is there a, any kind of a time frame? Do you guys want to have a coach in there before you draft? Do you have to have a coach before you draft, or can you start to make moves for the team you want and add a coach into that equation? Yeah, I think the coach. Uh, th- there's no there's no uh, firm time frame. Preferably, it'd be nice to have um, your head guy sitting there in the draft room, so you can kind of trade ideas and, and be on the same page on draft night. Um, but I think. The coach that will eventually have this job is not going to be a one-trick pony where I can only coach this guy or I can't coach this guy. I think the best coaches are guys that can certainly adjust the talent, and I think the guy that we ultimately um, identify as, as as our guy will be be such a coach that is not so beholden to one one way or one player. I think um, the really special coaches um, see what they have and make the best out of it. Uh, I'm done. You're done. I've I've got all I've got I used up all my questions. Who are you guys? Drafted? All the rest. Tell us. The rest of the <laughs> questions I have are about TV shows. So, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I watched um, Lo- uh, what's it called Lone Survivor? No, Lone Survivor. American Sniper last night. That was good. Oh, American Sniper. How uh, was that? Yeah. Yeah, was it was good. It was very good. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. I actually know it was a uh, underratedly. Is that word underratedly? Sounds yeah. right. It, it works. Yeah. 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 You guys are. <laughs> guys both went to Oxford. Uh, funny here, let movie. Let me look up in a dictionary yeah. here. Yeah. The Wedding Ringer. I've been waiting to watch that one. Shocking, oh, with, uh, shockingly good. With yeah. uh, uh, the short guy. Kevin Hart. Yeah, Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah, very funny. Yeah, he might yeah. be taller than Jeff, but yeah. he is short. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. I can't I really am not in a position to call people yeah. short. I? Um, yeah, I, that, that's, uh, that's, I actually heard good things about it. I wasn't expecting much from it. Either was I. That was kind of a throwaway movie. It was, it was very funny. Did that, did, was that another late night feeding uh, movie? That was so? a date night as date uh, night. my baby All slept right. away. Yeah, the, <laughs> I'm in the documentaries. My wife's not really a documentary fan, so I watch some bizarre stuff when she goes to bed. Any good documentaries? Yeah. Um, well, this, this one is uh, very, very subjective. The 12 O'Clock Boys. Oh, yeah. About the motorcycle kids in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think that's on Showtime On Demand or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Fog of War. Watch that. Oh, that's amazing. Really about the yeah, old Secretary of Defense and yeah, his yeah, decision yeah. making. McNamara. Fascinating. Yeah. It yeah. Is a, it, it's a, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. It, it completely takes the pressure off my job. <laughs> <laughs> when you see him talking about the Bay of Pigs or the decisions you have to make, we have to... We have to move down from seven. I, I can do so with, with full confidence. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> it was the Pentagon Papers after the Vietnam War, too, that, uh, that he was a part of, too. So, yeah, it was fascinating, too, because he's still yeah. so lucid. You know, he's all up there, but he's, he's very specific with his memory. And that's when they a, intersplice the... Wow, you got to watch it. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Yeah, Sounds you got to watch it. One of the best documentaries I've ever seen is several steps down from the one you just talked about is uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture. It's the biography of Robert Evans, the old movie producer. Okay. And it is... Really good? Fantastic. Kid it's, stays in the picture? Yeah, the kid stays in the picture. You have to watch it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It, the way he, he narrates it, too, and he's got this gravelly voice, yeah. it's just, it really is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Have you seen King of Kong? I have. That's a great yeah, one. It's amazing. That's a great one. We actually, uh, What's I, the premise of that one? That's the one King about Kong Donkey Kong. The Donkey uh, I mean, Donkey Kong, not King yeah. Kong. Yeah. <laughs> Donkey Kong, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen the whole Cobain thing. I just Have you seen it all? I haven't. Yeah. I've been waiting to watch it. Yeah, I saw it, and it was good. It was a little... I, they, they, his, factually speaking, I have some dispute with some of the things they had in there, but actually, as executed as a documentary, yeah. it was very good. Yeah. It was good. It is, it is a complete waste for an hour and a half. It'll, it'll zone you out of any anything you're um, thinking about. Is that George <laughs> Takai? Oh yeah, his documentaries. <laughs> I haven't seen that. You got you got not not that, no documentaries for you, huh? <laughs> I watch some, but he, I, he I watches, watch a lot of. Uh, he like, watches fast. Watch John Furious Oliver and, and Vice. Yeah, and oh, Vice. Yeah. Vice. I just started watching Game of Thrones. I started back over and started to watch those again. Oh, did you? Yeah. I don't know why. But did you see the Vice with the Senegalese wrestling? I haven't seen that one. Oh, I got to see. It's great. The guy, the guy's a fantastic photojournalist, but he's he's all like five three and hundred and six pounds and <laughs> this intense Senegalese wrestling culture, and he tries to throw himself in. It's very good. Oh, I man. think I've seen it. He's the little dude with the black glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's an older one, right? Yeah, yeah. I think somebody got kidnapped at one point. In one of his stories. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. I mean, those guys go into some pretty dangerous places. This is, is very true. Oh, that's why we watch. Yeah. They're like, hey, we're going to Chicago. Or, actually, yeah. they did go to Chicago. They, they went to uh, Southside Chicago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, oh. it's, it's pretty amazing. I, there's some great documentaries out there if you just like look for them. There's one that I didn't want to see ever again. It was one on, on body piercing that it was yeah. just, I don't know how I got it. Human, I, I, human centipede three? Or, <laughs> no, it wasn't that. But there was one about uh, people who were obsessed with the, with the uh, singer Tiffany. Really? Yes. And it's a, one of the people they interviewed was in in Denver, and it was it was very specific documentary. And I watched it with a group of friends of mine, and we all came away like you know that look on your face when you see a horror movie yeah. that really affects you. That's really no one talks about it. You just walk out <laughs> silently. Everyone walked out. Come, everyone picked up their coats and left. How about <laughs> maybe the the best one that I've ever seen about music is, is it Searching for Sugarman? Yes, oh, yeah. that is a that's a great. It's amazing, and I picked up that album, his album, because of that. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, it's just such a feel good story. And it the guy is. is such a normal guy. Every time I run into people from South Africa, I ask them if they know who Sugarman is. Yeah. Like, oh, Rodriguez, yeah. yeah. I'm like, everyone knows him. Everyone, it's unbelievable. How often do the run-ins with the South Some Africans happen? About <laughs> three or four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> run into, I what was it? Was it? <laughs> well, Hess is from South Africa. Yeah, the Springboks. Yeah, yeah. There's no way Hess knows who Rodriguez yeah, is. That's true. Unless he's like some power builder say, from Durban, he yeah, has no chance he knows who he is. Oh, mate, get better. Yeah. You know? 
Or if they put it in like a Skrillex remix, I can see. It. Does Hess listen to a lot of like yeah, techno? He seems like to yeah, me. you know, you'll go in there. It'll be like some Journey on. He'll he'll backdoor yeah. you with some really bizarre '80s rock. That they makes, call him Oates that guy. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Our Taurus is the techno guy. Really? Arturus yeah. uh, yeah. is it like uh, that you know, like Eastern European? Techno it's like yeah, I'm like gonna yeah. fight you to the death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's not like the feel good. It's not like it's not like a pool party in Vegas techno. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. 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 Yeah. So how long did you guys have? Uh, do you want Al Harrington? Is he going to stick around a little bit? I, I never got to cover him, but that's a hard. I always wanted to meet Al Harrington. <laughs> yeah, I you know, know what they were talking about. It was a, it was a good up. chance for Al. I think you know he. Um, for him to get a feel for both uh, the on the court stuff, he's going to hang out with us a little bit before the draft. Um, see where, see what he likes, see where his head's at. Um, I think it's invaluable to have guys that were recently on the court um, around the organization. I think, um, I think uh, the whole organization's done a very good job of kind of embracing former players. When you look at, you see Mark Randall or Walter Davis or Scott Hastings. I think it's it's invaluable to kind of um, take care of your own. So I think it's. Al's not sure what to, what he wants to do. Um, I think he had fun as a coach. I think um, he'll enjoy kind of being um, an observer with the draft process, and then we'll figure it out. As we get into the uh, the draft lottery, we're going to be throwing a Denver Stiffs night out to try to bring you guys some good karma because the Nuggets have never moved up in the lottery. Is that true? Wow. Never. Wow. They've well, moved back. Moved back five times. <laughs> I played the the, um, the real GM draft simulator five times last night. We moved up three of the five times. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Man. See, Got people on Denver Sifts. You are not the only one who does that. Even the GM of the Nuggets. Oh, it's like three that. in the morning. I, I can't turn the TV on. I have my phone in my hand. As you know, last year I was in the back. We were one. We were one number away from getting the first pick. Gosh. It's just, but it's really uh, here's a great story. Uh, a team got the first pick several years ago, and it's uh, you go in this room. It's kind of a break room. Uh, I think Good Morning America. Is that what the show is? And. It's not that attractive a room. You know, I was so excited last year to see behind the curtain, and it was all right. And there's still a wall full of numbers. And you get a piece of paper, and still it said Denver, like 222-444-777-666. So uh, a buddy of mine, a long time ago, got the first pick. He just heard the first number and assumed it had to be in order. He goes, well, first pick is, and he starts cursing, me? I won the first pick? <laughs> you know, it's, it happens so quick. They have a guy there from, I don't know, one of the big accounting firms. They go, but six, seven, two, four, seven, and you're not numbers up. And I think our second last number was off. Um, Do you have like a bingo card and a big you, marker that you're matching numbers? <laughs> you just have a sheet with a pen, and you're just, okay, I have seven, I have eight, I have 11, I have nine. And it came down, I think, two other, three teams had a chance to get it. And then it's over. This first pick, Cleveland Cavaliers. And then the guy's... Super excited, and everyone else is not so excited. And you spend an hour sequestered, your phone's in an envelope, and you got to act like you're happy for him. Well, <laughs> you know? well, let me tell you, there was there was groans, audible groans, as soon as they announced Cleveland. As soon as everyone knew it was going to be Cleveland, because we, you know, obviously you have a different yeah. perspective than us. But once it's up there, everyone's like, oh, not again. There was groans in the room, and I, I think they were subconscious, and most weren't meant to be verbal or all. You know? But even. I mean, you had some owners in there like, come on, again? Again, three times in five years. Well, the, worst yeah. part, the worst part last year for us at Jake's was they had the Orlando Magic card, which was your guys' pick, I yeah. believe. So when they pulled out that Magic card, we all thought that you guys had moved up. So everybody started freaking out, and then we remembered, oh, no, they're the Magic card. That's the pick. Hmm. So we got kind of disappointed. But have you guys decided who's going to be sitting uh, yeah, in I th- place? I think we're going to have um, – I hope Josh is on the dais. Um, he's, he's had a lot more luck than me. Um, really Nate was going to volunteer. If I was going to nominate Joshua Tim Gelt. Tim Gelt. Oh yeah, yeah. Lifelong Nuggets fan. Tim yeah. Gelt. 
Uh, we're going to put a tourist in the back room so he can kind of rough up the, the process. They can use some of his ultimate fighting techniques. To <laughs> some of the Eastern European techniques. Yeah, somehow we got the first, second, and third pick. <laughs> that I don't work. know what the hell this yeah. happened. And, uh, Tim and I will be uh, in, the, in the stands, fingers crossed, um, you know, hoping for the best. You know? So jo- Josh is going to be on the date, do you I, think? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think I'm, We haven't confirmed it yet, but I think that's what we're looking at. All right. Yeah. We've got to get him away from what Jeff coins his uh, evil 80s haircut. Yeah, you know, Josh. Josh sometimes will have a look that you're thinking, "Well, he looks like an '80s villain." You know, with the, <laughs> like you, all he needs kid. is a, all he needs is a cardigan Josh over is the, the shoulders. Nicest guy <laughs> ever. Like if if I'm picking villains, he's the last guy I'm ever picking. It's just the look. You know, yeah. he, all he needed was that uh, kind of that uh, that. Uh, Cardigan that they always had over their shoulders, and he's going to go wreck your, you know, your recreation club. I think that there. I think that means, as opposed to us four, that he's not like horrific to look at because none of us could be eighties villains. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. if we if we wore that, you wouldn't be like eighties oh, villain. You'd be like, what are you wearing that sweater for? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you could call me maybe Chunk from Goonies, but maybe not. <laughs> That's good. What, yeah. so what's a, movie comparisons? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think, our, I think our time might be up on that. Note. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sean, you can chunk. Come on, you do better than that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's the first one that came to mind. Um, so anyway. Well, be a great uh, like, dating profile. Yes, chunk. I, I, I did the truffle truffle. Yeah. <laughs> I love baby Ruth's. Yeah. Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> and pirates. Really good friends with John Matusek. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we know you got, you got a busy day, Tim. You're heading to Chicago, obviously, next week. So yeah. Best, yeah. Best of luck trying to sort this thing out. I'm glad I'm not you. Oh, no, it'll be fun. I mean, I think, um, look, uh, the draft, is, it's, like I said, it's, um, we don't want to be overconfident, but I, I love the process. I love the people that are uh, behind the decision-making, and we'll go in there, have fun with it, um, and we're going to be aggressive. Um, and, and aggression can lead us a bunch of different ways. Um, I think, ultimately, our flexibility does not um, disallow anything. Um, but I think it's, um, in terms of direction and exactly what we're going to do, I think we'll, we'll all know on draft night. Nope. Perfect. Thank you for coming on again, Tim. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. As as always, it's a good time. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.